I was a yeah snowboarder and did mountain biking, all that stuff. Um, so this is obviously my my life before long COVID. Coming up on Carolina Connection, a UNC clinic is helping patients cope with the lasting symptoms of long COVID. Good morning, I'm Sophia Cazzini. And I'm Sierra Pfeiffer. Also this week, the government is working to bring high-speed internet access to more than 1 million North Carolina homes. Sports betting is already popular in North Carolina, but now it will become legal. And Chapel Hill businesses are preparing for a busy night as the Tar Heel men's basketball team prepares to tip off against the Duke Blue Devils. We've had people camp out overnight to try to get their spot in here before. From the UNC Hussman School of Journalism and Media, this is Carolina Connection. Thanks for joining us, and welcome to our first program of the spring 2024 semester. Starting the semester takes a lot of energy, but not everyone has some to spare. Each year, the number of patients struggling with long COVID grows. Now, a UNC clinic is working to help patients cope with these challenges, even if the cause of their lingering ailment isn't known. Carolina Connections' Henry Taylor visited the clinic to see how they're helping their patients. Uh, I only got to ride this thing maybe five or six times before I got sick. Jeremy Wright's mountain bike sits right inside the door of his Carborough apartment, but he's hardly been able to enjoy it. It's a shame because I, I was like really getting into it and then it sat in storage like my snowboards for too long. Wright says he was 33 when he contracted COVID-19. Now he is 37 and he still has symptoms. He has long COVID, which he says completely changed his life. I was a yeah snowboarder and did mountain biking, all that stuff. Um, so this is obviously my, my life before long COVID. Wright says his bout with long COVID was initially mild, but then he developed brain fog, which made it hard for him to concentrate and do his job at an IT firm. He also got fatigued quickly and didn't have much energy. There was no margin for extra stress or extra exertion. According to the CDC, 11% of adults who contracted COVID-19 now report long COVID symptoms. Wright says his was bad enough that he decided to leave his home in Lake Tahoe, California. Part of what inspired me to move back here was to be closer to the UNC and Duke systems and um, just all of the, the really good medical research that's going on around here. Some of that research happens here at UNC's Long COVID Recovery Clinic, one of the country's oldest. It was started a year into the pandemic and has seen more than 2,300 patients. Nursing coordinator Allison Judge says each patient works with a team of doctors and therapists. They will come and stay probably about four hours. Each one spends about 30 minutes with them, does pretty much a head-to-toe assessment. Afterwards, we have a big roundtable discussion and talk about what type of therapy should they have, what type of therapy should they have first. But treatment here goes beyond medication or conventional physical therapy. People with long COVID often have trouble staying alert and concentrating the way they used to. So therapists here sometimes retrain them to do everyday tasks. So here you can just drive along at, you got your gas and your brake pedals steering. Occupational therapist Marie Curtis says this driving simulator can help people with what she calls that woozy feeling that's characteristic of long COVID. 
When you think about operating a car, it takes cognitive energy. So thinking about dividing your attention, keeping up with your speed, keeping up with the directions. So it's kind of bringing in all those different components and helping them practice in a safe environment. Clinic founder Dr. John Barada says therapists also train patients how to modify their activities and conserve their energy, like putting a chair in the shower. But he says there's still a lot researchers don't know. We have been able to refine the assessment of people with post-COVID symptoms and, and also to refine treatment possibilities for them. We still are unable to provide a curative treatment for the underlying medical cause, and that's because we really don't know what it is in most cases. Barada says he's hopeful new treatments are on the horizon. Jeremy Wright, the long COVID patient, is hopeful too. He's getting ready for his first assessment at the UNC clinic with a specific milestone in mind. My biggest goal I actually put down on my list as a resolution is I, I want to get back on a snowboard. That was life to me. He's determined not to let long COVID hold him back forever. In Chapel Hill, I'm Henry Taylor. President Biden is promising to increase access to broadband internet in rural areas. During a Raleigh speech last month, the president touted his American Rescue Plan, which included more than $25 billion to invest in affordable, high-speed internet all across America. But what will this really look like for North Carolinians? Noah Powell and Taylor Holbrooks have the story. 73-year-old Rex Brooks has spent his entire life living in this house in Lexington, North Carolina. It's changed a bit over the years. He's built a new kitchen, a smokehouse, even a special building for processing deer meat. But one thing hasn't changed. His house does not have an internet connection. Well, my children pretty much do everything electronically for me. Uh, we have some bills that have to be paid online. Uh, my daughter takes care of all that. Otherwise, we pay our bills uh, in a check or either if it's a local bills, we run by and pay them at the local places around here like water bill, electric bill and all that. We just pay them at that time. While Brooks's life without the internet is manageable for him, he knows his children can't live that way. And, and they're good in their own way. I'm not taking that away and I know society's gone that way. But at my age, I think I can get by till, till the end of the way I'm doing it now, you know. So I might worry, worry my children to death, but, <laughs> but yeah, it's just going to happen that way. If they, what I've got invested in them, she'll even give me some answers, you know, <laughs> or, or do some, take care of some business for me, you know. <laughs> Rex is just biding his time, trying to wait out the increasingly online world. But for many North Carolinians, this isn't an option. The internet is, for most aspects of life, a requirement. When President Biden visited Raleigh, he aimed to make the internet cheaper, faster, and more available for families across North Carolina. High-speed internet isn't a luxury anymore. It's an absolute necessity. And today I'm announcing another major step. We're investing another $82 million to connect 16,000 additional homes and businesses, bringing high-speed internet all across the state of North Carolina from top to bottom. The North Carolina Department of Information Technology reported that at least a million households in North Carolina still lacked high-speed internet in 2023. Ray Zeiss has worked for 10 years as the senior director for NC State's Friday Institute. Zeiss has helped spearhead an online survey that is monitoring North Carolina residents' access to internet. We've had 140,000 responses, so we run it 
behind the scenes at NZ State. This map allows state officials to put funding into action and pinpoint areas that still do not have internet. It's a real joy to see eventually here this year the money will really start rolling out and we'll start to see real change and real holes being dug and fiber put in and, and, uh, and life-changing access happening to some people that never thought they would see, you know, gigabit internet at their house. Zeiss' work is prioritizing state taxpayer dollars and working to close the digital divide. NC Broadband's Affordable Connectivity Program has helped over 22 million Americans save 30 to $75 per month on their internet bills. I got a tractor there, and another one behind it there, and I got this truck here. I pull my trailers. And Back in Lexington, it doesn't seem that much will change for Brooks. When you're younger, you have to go that way. It came out, actually it came out, it's been out for years, but it, it's really came on the scene in the last 15 to 20 years, really strong and everything. Had I been younger when it came out, I'd be right there and probably falling in the same category as the rest of them. The expansion of broadband across North Carolina is helping to ensure that for younger generations to come, internet access won't even be a second thought. In Raleigh, I'm Noah Powell. And I'm Taylor Holbrooks. Sports betting will become legal in North Carolina next month, but it was already popular among college students, as apps and websites have made it easier to participate in. A survey from the NCAA reported that the majority of college students bet on sports, 58% overall and 67% of those living on campus. Um, so I'm not going to use prize picks as most people probably would, but right now I'm on Fliff. It's another really good one that we can use in our current state. That was Trayson um, Matthews, a junior at UNC. He was on his phone looking at Fliff, a sports betting app he recently switched to. Uh, prize picks actually has the ability to where you can switch it from your money. You see this little like dollar sign in the corner. If you switch it, you can go to coins, and they give you like coins to like do fake bets. So, for example, this is where you get into like addiction stuff. There's this kind of measures. Matthew says that he's been sports betting for several years now, mainly on professional basketball and football. But he said he also dabbles in other sports like badminton and cricket. Matthew says that the majority of his friends bet on sports and some of them do it daily. If you're a teenage or adolescent young man in college right now, you probably placed a sports bet. You're, you're watching games anyway with your friends and just talking and probably having a few beers anyway. So somebody's been like, yo, this is my prize picks line. And what's prize picks? And it's like, you don't know what prize picks is? kind of how it goes. And From DraftKings to FanDuel, sports betting apps are pervasive in college communities. On campuses in states where betting is legal, like Michigan State, apps are advertised during collegiate sporting events. UNC sophomore Satchel Walton did a project on sports betting legalization and its potential ramifications a year ago. He said he has gambled on horse races before for fun, putting down $25, but he says legalizing sports betting allows for advertising that feels predatory. I think it becomes a really serious problem when you expand that and say, uh, you're now allowed uh, to bet alone in your basement at, you know, 1 a.m. and wager however much money you want 24-7, and we're going to advertise to you constantly on the TV and, and say use all manner of manipulative tactics to try to get you to join and to never leave. College students were not the only ones excited about the legalization of sports betting in North Carolina. Buddy Bengal, who is the owner of the Moorhead City Marlins baseball team, a collegiate team playing in the Coastal Plain League, also said it would be beneficial. 
you know, it, it certainly creates opportunities. I think it can help ease a tax burden on both income tax in North Carolina as well as other things. Because, you know, when you're creating legislation, you have to look at it as saying either we're going to raise taxes or we have to find ways to generate revenue. This is another way to generate revenue in North Carolina from what I hate to say people are already doing anyway. Bingle said sports betting will help North Carolina compete with other states that have legalized sports betting, like Virginia. But Walton said North Carolina, unlike states like New York, which have a 51 percent tax rate, plan to keep their taxation rate relatively low. There are people who promise, oh, if you just legalize online sports betting, uh, riches will be raining down on the state, right? Uh, and to some extent, yeah, a little bit of that revenue is going to go to the state, uh, but it varies widely. Walson said that the privileged tax rate, which will be 14%, is too low, especially if the goal is deterrence, similar to alcohol and tobacco taxes. He said it doesn't deter the companies, let alone gamblers, who could end up being more susceptible to addiction. Walton said that the combination of increased online accessibility and the gamified design of the apps put youth at a higher risk for addiction. Walton said he worries about the normalization of this sort of activity. I pulled up this tweet from one of my friends from high school I saw about a month ago that really disturbed me. He said, uh, somebody's going to have to get me off DraftKings before I go broke. And then one of those uh, sobbing, crying emojis. <laughs> I said, oh, no, that's 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 terrible. I mean, what, what what have we done? Why have we thought this is a good policy idea? Matthews, who supports the legalization of sports betting, says he understands those who express concern about how it will impact young people, but he emphasizes that gambling is just one of many risky activities that college students are exposed to. I think that there are a lot of vices present in college that one could argue are worse than sports betting. And I can understand the developing brain's argument, but at the same time, like, this, this young boy is learning to become a man. He will have to learn to manage money the hard way or the easy way. Like, you know, as soon as he gets his degree and gets a real job, if he has any type of vice he spends too much money on, he'll lose his house, he'll lose his job, yada, yada. So I think that it, it can teach you a cool lesson. The State Lottery Commission has announced that sports betting in North Carolina will be legal as of March 11th, one day before the ACC's men's basketball tournament. Coming up on Carolina Connection, a famous journalist visits UNC and a Hillsborough gallery hosts black artists. Not completing high school is more of a social thing than it was an academic thing. I came out in the 11th grade. Nobody was embracing you. The kids were cruel. It was very difficult to be gay. Even though all these years have passed, I still had that longing to have my diploma. The hard part was determining that I was gonna do it, but I definitely didn't do it alone. At age 30, with the help of her mentor, Carissa finished her high school diploma. I have a mentor, Maria. She convinced me to continue my education and to finish what I started to get my diploma. Just never judges. She's a true role model. If you're even considering getting your high school diploma, go get it. You can do it. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council.
You're listening to Carolina Connection, UNC's student-produced newscast. I'm Sophia Cazzini. And I'm Sierra Pfeiffer. When you hear or see the news on the radio, TV, or on your phone, it can be difficult to tell what's most important to know. Journalism has been changing rapidly over the last couple decades, and people's faith in it has changed as well. Tuesday, the former executive editor of The Washington Post, Marty Barron, came to UNC to talk about perilous times in journalism. Hamsani Sivakumar has the story. Marty Barron's talk on Tuesday was due to the release of his new book, Collision of Power. It is about his work at The Washington Post during the Trump presidency. He was also famously the executive editor of the Boston Globe when they broke the Boston church child sex abuse scandal. He is portrayed in the 2015 movie, Spotlight. Barron talked as part of the lecture series named for journalist Frank A. Daniels, Jr. Uh, Thank you, everybody. Uh, Really, thank you for having me here at UNC Chapel Hill. Barron discussed objectivity in journalism, the future of the industry, and the standards of journalists. The journalism industry has been struggling. The Los Angeles Times, Time Magazine, National Geographic, and The Washington Post have recently made job cuts. However, he stressed the importance of journalists. We need communities to know what's happening in their um, uh, happenings so that they can participate in those events. Uh, We need people to know what's happening at the state level. We need people to know what's happening at the federal level as well. Uh, in order for them to be active, engaged citizens, and journalism is a central part of that. He said what set journalists apart in the new age of social media was their ability to fact check. I think the thing that has to differentiate us is uh, verification. Our true loyalty is to the facts and not to some preconception of ours or pre-existing opinion of ours. Barron said that he understands people's struggles with job cuts. However, he spoke hopefully about where journalism is going. So I think people should not look at the problems only. They should look at the problems, but also seek out the opportunities. Barron says these opportunities include contemporary ways to tell stories, including through new nonprofit and commercial news outlets that have found success. David Warnoff is the publisher of the Pilot newspaper in Moore County, and Frank Daniels Jr.'s nephew. He says despite general decline in trust, his community has gained faith in his newspaper through the years. I think the awareness that if if the community doesn't support it, they will lose it. Uh, and, and as it's happened all over the country, they realize how fortunate they are to have a, a, a vibrant and vital news operation in their community. After his speech, Barron took questions from a panel of UNC students. Daniel Johnson is a UNC media and journalism PhD student and was on the panel. Even though Barron's talk discussed the dangers of being a journalist to both people's lives and reputations, which he said he has faced before, Johnson said the talk was encouraging for young people. He talked about death threats, but he also talked about the impacts his stories that he worked on had. In the end, Johnson believes that despite the risks, it's worth it. It's worth it to help uh, improve and sustain our democracy. The future of journalism may be unknown, but some of those who attended the talk are optimistic. In Chapel Hill, I'm Hamsini Sivakumar. The Eno Arts Mill Gallery in Hillsborough has a new art exhibition, and the theme is Black Futurism. The show provides a safe space for 30 local Black artists. Carolina Connection's Jessica Simmons gives us a preview. In preparation of opening night of Black Futurism, the Eno Arts Mill Gallery in Hillsborough received over 100 canvases covered in acrylic, spray, and oil paints. The pieces waited on the table to be hammered, taped, and mounted on the wall for the Black Futurism art exhibition. Black Futurism serves as a themed art exhibition, creating a supportive atmosphere for 30 black artists from the local community. 
It's curated by F. Flynn artist T.J. Mundy, the 2023 BIPOC Artist in Residence of the Orange County Arts Commission and the Orange County Arts Alliance. This is Mundy's first curated show. Mundy, who uses they-them pronouns, says the term black futurism sprouts from their roots and the Afrofuturism genre. But Mundy says the term black resonates with them more. I wanted to kind of create black futurism as a nod to African futurism and Afrofuturism as a genre, but tie it more to the black experience in America and the area that we're in now. Afrofuturism is a cultural and artistic movement that looks at African and African diasporic experiences with fiction and futuristic themes. Even though the gallery opens at noon, Mundy has been at the gallery since 9 a.m., two days before opening night, installing art. With various experiences and mediums, together, the artists will show their work with their own interpretation of black futurism. Because this exhibit is a group show, the Orange County Arts Commission projected approximately 300 people to mingle, dine, and enjoy the show, opposed to 100 people who attend the solo exhibitions. Tiffany Wilson is a Raleigh pop artist who has been showcased many times. She says black futurism is about breaking generational curses. For the future us, whether it's Gen Z and continue on, so on and so forth. At the gallery, Wilson exhibits Now Sir, Crude Child, and I'm Red to Go, three colorful acrylic pieces inspired by African-American vernacular English, women, and the 1990s TV show In Living Color. Miles Brown says Black Futurism is his first show. He is a Raleigh artist and loves Disney's Black Panther. Brown showcases Nova Cat, an acrylic painting of a blue and green panther with yellow eyes and outline. I am a futurist. I'm also a, a nature lover and a wannabe zoologist, so I put that all into my craft. Black Futurism is the gallery's first Fridays at the Mill event for February. The show had its opening reception on February 2nd. Mundy says even though it wasn't their primary objective, they took advantage of having the show during Black History Month. The exhibition will be on display throughout February, Monday through Friday, from 12 to 5 p.m. In Hillsborough, I'm Jessica Simmons. UNC and Duke have one of the most famous rivalries in sports history, and men's basketball is tipping off again tonight in Chapel Hill. Here to preview the game, I'm joined by Carolina Connections' Lorelai Sykes and Lucas Tomei. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having us. UNC dominated Wake Forest on January 22nd, 85-64, and R.J. Davis set a career high. He is now the first Tar Heel to score 30-plus points against Wake Forest since Hubert Davis in 1992. And he's the first Tar Heel to have multiple 30-point games under his belt in one season since Garrison Brooks from the 2019-2020 season. But if we want to see this energy on the court against Duke, Hubert Davis said that we're going to need to see this from R.J. Davis in every game. Davis kept up this effort in the Georgia Tech game, but that was really it for that game. UNC lost 74-73, to which dropped them to 17-4. The Heels fumbled an 11-point lead after the first quarter. This loss right before Duke doesn't leave a good taste in my mouth, with Duke rising and UNC teetering on the edge of falling a bit. So, Lucas, what do we need to see on the court from RJ and the team as a whole this weekend to get that extra push to keep us motivated? Yeah, in that Georgia Tech game, I think you saw a UNC team that really just sort of struggled to shoot the basketball a lot. 
Uh, their bigs, including fifth-year player Armando Baycott, uh, was not very involved in the offense. I think when uh, they host Duke on Saturday, you're going to want to see uh, a really dominant performance from Armando Baycott on the boards, which is also going to open up the team's spacing and allow R.J. Davis to make those really deep shots uh, that he's really been making all season up to this point. And I think we need to acknowledge that Duke also just rose to the number seven spot in the AP Top 25 poll. So that's jumping up five spots after their one-point win over Clemson. Yeah, Duke had a really disappointing loss against Pittsburgh uh, earlier in January. And since then, they've ripped off three wins in a row, um, played Clemson really close, but then had a pretty convincing win over Virginia Tech. They're just a team that's on the rise, and I think they've been a really solid, solid contender in the ACC all season. So they'll prove to be a really good matchup for UNC. Okay, and looking at women's basketball, UNC is currently ranked 24 after losing to number five NC State's Thursday game. NC State has been in those top spots throughout the season. So like, what does this loss mean for us to get that ranking up in the future? Yeah, UNC Courtney Banghart's squad started out really good in conference play, six and one record. Uh, but now they've lost two games in a row. They're on a bit of a skid after a disappointing loss against Virginia and this really close sort of heartbreaking loss to number five NC State, which is always a big rivalry game for that team. Um, Courtney Banghart uh, has made it clear going to the season that her roster full of veterans uh, is looking to sort of make it over the hump come March and really compete for a national title, an ACC title. Um, so you're really going to need to see this team pick it up um, offensively uh, down the stretch. And it really doesn't get any easier for this team. They're playing Virginia Tech coming up on Sunday, which has some of the best players in the ACC, and then another rivalry game at Duke in Durham. So uh, you're really just going to have to see this team uh, step up to the challenge and, and pull out some gritty wins. That was Carolina Connections' Lorelai Sykes and Lucas Tomei. Thanks again for coming in today. And on this most anticipated day for Tar Heel basketball fans, Franklin Street businesses are expecting a boom. Helen Wickett visits some of them as they prepare. It's the calm before the storm in Chapel Hill as Tar Heel fans get ready for the big game tonight. On Franklin Street, local businesses prepare for one of the busiest days of the year. Assistant General Manager at Top of the Hill, Jeff Wardwell, is looking forward to the excitement of the evening. It's very exciting. The energy is super high. I mean, everyone is just goes crazy for this weekend. So crazy, in fact, that it tends to get pretty loud. When the game is happening, anytime UNC scores, it is deafening in-house. Um, it used to be worse, but we replaced our ceiling tiles with acoustic dampening tiles just to kind of reduce the noise a little bit but I definitely bring earplugs for that shift. Wardwell and the rest of the Top of the Hill staff are prepared for the chaos of the day. We had some basketball games this season already, so the newer staff has seen what home games look like, but this one, we kind of kick it up a notch. Um, we put maximum staff on. We have everybody on deck just to handle the maximum crowds that come in. After years of having customers line up outside overnight for a table, Top of the Hill recently switched to an online reservation system. I opened it up at noon, and by 12.01, they were all sold out. 
Over at Sup Dogs, another hotspot for watching the game, floor manager Barry Kaysen shares their process for welcoming guests. This year we're having the students or whoever wants to come and watch the game here like line up outside um, the day of, not the, yeah, the day of to like kind of reserve a spot for themselves and their party for when we start seating people. Kaysen has worked at Dogs for many UNC Duke game days and has seen it all. We've had people camp out overnight to try to get their spot in here before. Restaurants aren't the only businesses on Franklin Street getting ready for the busy weekend. The Shrunken Head Boutique stocks up on UNC Duke merchandise in advance of the game. Owner, Melissa Pate. We buy extra for sure. I mean, the Duke basketball game is or the UNC versus Duke basketball game is like no other. So we definitely amp up everything. Beat Duke stuff sells year round, but we definitely see an increase during the um, actual games. The frenzy for Trunken Head doesn't end on Saturday night. Customers often come back to the store on Sunday morning. Typically, we've seen that the day before, families come into town and they're on the street um, eating and just hanging out, and so they'll get stuff. And then once we win Saturday night, Sunday, everybody on the street will be so excited, and then they want to come back to get even more merchandise. These businesses and many more are ready for the big night. In Chapel Hill, I'm Helen Wickett. And that's it for this game day edition of Carolina Connection a production of the UNC Hussman School of Journalism and Media. Our technical director is Kevin Paris. I'm Sierra Pfeiffer. And I'm Sophia Cazzini. You can hear more of our stories at carolinaconnection.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Instagram and X at UNC Connection and on Facebook at Carolina Connection. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.